Hey guys, here it is with another episode of my path to recovery. This is Sarah Caroline uh, from the Hairstylist Guide to Happiness, which ended up turning into my podcast about my recovery. So today, I woke up and thought today is the day I'm going to open up my suitcase because I have a suitcase that has all of my things from my recovery that I haven't been able to open just yet. Of course, I have my clothes and toiletries out, but this is all the the things. Um, so I'm going to open it. And I opened it, and my first thought was, ooh, thank God there's some hair ties in here. I need to put my hair up. So I guess that's a good sign. Um, but I thought I'd record this as I open, and hopefully I'll post it, because if it sounds all funny and weird, I won't. But... Um, Hopefully, you guys are listening to it, so it will. So I'm going to open it and just kind of, I don't, I don't really know where this is going to go, but just talk about it. And my hope is that by the time I go through it all, I will have shared a couple things about recovery as a whole, and then maybe dive in deeper to my uh, first couple days there if I, when I, if and when I can find my notebook that I took, so... Um, everything is in a garbage bag because, you know, I had COVID when I was there. So, um, let me open it up. Oh, my first thing that I'm pulling out is a a gift from one of my wonderful coworkers, Heather, who sent me, um, a little, a doodle book and says, can't wait till we are working together again. She sent me a little care package, which was so nice. That's one thing I felt was very loved. Oh, Um, I just pulled out a piece of blank paper, and this blank paper was actually from, I had an uh, assignment. I had a really hard time with anger. My dad was a very, very angry person, and I had a hard time allowing myself to feel angry, and one of my projects was to paint out, draw out my anger, and then destroy it somehow. And so I have watercolor markers from my wonderful friend, Lo, and I did a watercolor marker painting and uh, with my anger, and then I took it into the shower with me. Uh, and after I was done bathing and showering, I put it at the bottom and I rinsed it off. And I watched all my anger go down the drain, which is pretty therapeutic. And so now I just have this blank piece of paper that means that to me. Um, And it turns out, one thing I had to learn is there's a huge difference between anger and rage. See, in my mind, I was thinking about my dad's anger as anger. And I never wanted to put that kind of pain on anybody else. I wouldn't allow myself to feel angry. And it turns out I wasn't thinking about the entire spectrum of emotions, And so there's a big difference between anger and rage. And one good thing I learned is it's okay to be angry. My dad was rageful. So that was a pretty cool thing I learned. Oh, and here I got all the yarn. Uh, I learned how to crochet when I was in recovery. Um, They teach you that. It gives you your mind something to work on. It allowed me to think clearer. And, oh, here's my blanket I haven't finished. Um, One of the women that I really, really connected with uh, in recovery, she left before me. And she was one of the people who taught me how to crochet. 
and she was working on this piece. And she crocheted it and gave it to me and said that she put a whole bunch of love and support in it. Oh, I'm getting all teary-eyed. Um, and that any t- and she wanted me to finish it. And any time that I needed her or some love, then I'd have that, which is really sweet. So I'm glad. I'm glad I opened this so far. So good. Um, okay, what's in this? What's in this bag? Okay. Oh, I have my Emotions Anonymous book. So, you know, there's Alcoholics Anonymous. There is Narcotics Anonymous and stuff like that. There's also what I learned there is CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous and Emotions Anonymous. And Emotions Anonymous is for people who have emotional issues. So, um, Really, everybody could go to this thing, and everyone should. It's a really great thing, uh, but it really focuses on people who get overtaken by their emotions or have emotional disorders, depression, anxiety, things like that. So there's that book. Uh, let's see. Oh, a whole bunch of tissues because you know, crying. Okay. Oh, I've got my notebook, my note cards that I brought, and oh, my welcome binder. So my welcome binder so when you get there there is someone I think I mentioned this in my last podcast that is assigned to you that walks you through shows you everything tells you everything about the place what to expect and give you this DBT binder dialectical behavior therapy binder and that's one of the therapies we do there it tells you everything you need to know uh, about how to what you need to do, how to do it. It gives you, oh, our schedule. Here's one of my schedules in here. And uh, gives you tools for DBT. Like, I don't really know how to explain DBT. If one of my one of my girls was on here, she'd explain, because she explains everything better than me. But um, one of the DBT skills that I, is called check the facts, okay? So say you are having a panic attack, an episode, you're angry, feeling anything. If you don't want to feel that way, the first thing you do is you stop, take a deep breath, and you check the facts. So say, for example, I have a fight with Asher, and this is a total uh, situational, not real. It's a, what, what do you call it? I'm having some post, um, post-COVID post brain fog. Uh, mm, what's the word? Anyways, like a fake scenario. So... Say Asher and I get into a fight and I am like pissed. I am angry and I just think he's the worst. And so what I can do with myself or call someone for support to check the facts would be, okay, what is the actual event? Okay, well, I came home and Asher didn't say hello or kiss me or acknowledge my existence, okay? My thoughts were, well, he must not be happy to see me and he must not be attracted to me anymore. And he must... Okay? And then the emotion I'm feeling is abandonment and unloved. Okay? So, then we have to think about it. We have to examine. Check the facts. What was the actual event? I came home. Asher was on his laptop working. He didn't say hi to me. He didn't say anything. Okay? What could be the emotions of that? Well, maybe he's stressed out. Maybe something's going on with his job. He's just focused right now and cannot pay attention to me. Or he could be on a Zoom call and I just don't know. 
And then my thought could be, okay, so I need to then check the facts with him later. And then how you check the facts. What is the emotion I want to change? What is the event prompting my emotions? Ask what my interpretations, thoughts, and assumptions about the event. Am I assuming a threat? What is the catastrophe? Does my emotions and or intensity fit the facts? So there's a little DBT. Saved you, saved you uh, $50 of therapy right there. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, that's just one out of so many DBT skills. And that's all in this binder. But it was actually also my lifeline. I um, have a lot of notes in here. And I uh, have like a page that talks about my inner child. This was from a Zoom. On, oh, this is one of my last ones on the 8th of August. It's my inner child. It says, she bounces between two ages, 6 and 10. Both are the same type of outfit. Very innocent, pure, full of light, giggly and happy. Her hair has ribbons in it. She is wearing a light-colored dress, lacy socks, a white and white keds. She, I mean, I was definitely a, a baby in the 90s. Um, she loves running around outside, chasing butterflies. She loves flower fields and being held. She really loves to run around. I cannot remember what that was for or about, but one of the things we did a lot was inner child work, making sure we're taking care of our inner child. So, um, oh, I hope this isn't a boring one. Well, if it's boring, then okay. I guess this is more for me anyways. But hopefully, maybe you guys are getting some things out of it. So here's a bunch of my worksheets on balance. That's my least favorite world in the entire fucking world. Just to let you know, that B word is what I've been trying to achieve my whole life. Um, oh, a forgiveness worksheet, uh, which sounds silly, but uh, it really actually helped me. I had a hard time forgiving my father for being an alcoholic. And now I understand there's a difference between being an alcoholic and alcoholism affecting the family. Uh, but actually having a worksheet that helped you deal with forgiveness in a logical manner was actually very helpful for me. Uh, here's a paper that says, and don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of them, just skimming. 11 principles for recovery. Okay, one, be technically proficient. Two, know yourself and seek self-improvement. Three, be honest with yourself and look out for your welfare. Four, Keep your support system informed. Five, ensure the task is understood, supervised, and accomplished. Six, treat recovery as a team effort. Seven, make sound decisions that are in line with the goals of recovery. Eight, develop a sense of pride for your recovery. Nine, take on tasks, take on tasks in accordance with your capabilities. Ten, seek responsibility and take responsibility for your actions. Eleven, set the example. That's a really nice thing for me to remember, you know, recovery is something that I wish was so much quicker than it actually is. So that's nice. So yeah, so I've just got, a, for a lack of a better phrase, shit ton of different masks or masks, my gosh, um, artwork, things like that. Um, and worksheets and the worksheets actually make a huge difference. Oh, this is interesting. This is my clinical master treatment plan for mental health problems on the 6th of July, 2020. So what this was is I had to sit down with 
my therapist, which actually this was a week later than it was supposed to. So it irritated me at the time because I felt like I lost a week of therapy. And in the end, they gave me an extra week for free. So that was really nice. So that way I could uh, stay and get that week I should have. So it was a blessing in disguise. You know, God, the universe, whatever you believe in, insert higher power here, somehow knew that I needed to be there longer before I did. So here was my treatment planned. Uh, it says here, so what they did is we went through three goals. And this is what it says. Goal one, I want to love my life again. So essentially, he asked me all these questions, and he did kind of a analytical uh, therapy session. And then we came up. He helped me take everything I was saying and downsize it to one sentence. So then our objective was to achieve balance in life through defining the areas of my life that I need to be improved and then following through to those changes. The plan was I will attend CBT, uh, which is cognitive behavioral therapy groups, each week to help identify the areas of my life that she that I want to work on. Client will participate in one-on-one sessions each week with her therapist and be given assignments that help her improve her self-awareness and self-esteem. And I will do this once a week. The second goal was I want to heal from the traumas related to my relationship with my dad. The objective is to be able to separate out my traumas from everyday living. The plan was I will attend at least one EMDR session a week. EMDR is a, I think it's like eye movement rapid, or eye movement direction, something. Anyways, it is a trauma therapy where you go back into the memory safely and you let your brain work it out. So essentially... You go back to a very traumatic time in your life and put love there or take back control. It's almost like being in a very lucid dream and it's completely safe. Sometimes it's not fun because you're going back to something traumatizing. And sometimes I would go back to that memory and turn into the Hulk and take my power back and turn into a superwoman. And it was pretty cool. Your brain does a lot of work in that time. So... What happens is for about a week or two afterwards, I'm utterly exhausted because you've just gone through so much in a short period of time and it doesn't stop when you leave. Your brain is now open to healing and thoughts and things that were shoved back there. So some weeks after I'm done, I have a lot of child things that come up. It's very uh, painful and it is the most healing thing I've ever done. And then there's some weeks like this week where I feel great. I'm just exhausted because I did one uh, last week. And it is the it was a, a, a lifesaver for me. I'm t- lifesaver. It is the best thing I could have ever done for myself. It helped me deal with huge traumas in one or two sittings and was able to have a pretty instant effect on me. So I highly recommend it. Um, okay. And then the plan two was client will attend primary groups to help her process her traumas and her home group four days a week. So every morning we would go to primary group, meaning everyone in our house would go to a room with our therapist and do group therapy. It was really awesome because you get to bond with these people. You get to talk about your traumas and your issues out loud And so a lot of the things 
that I felt super shamed about it super, super, super shamed about people around me be like, Sarah, that's normal. Or, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. And it, it helps you know that you're not on an island. And also to hear what other people have gone through, it makes you feel less alone. And, and it makes you feel, for me, made me feel grateful for my experiences and my traumas because I couldn't imagine going through what these people were going through. Um, and the goal three was I want to build healthy self-esteem. I took a self-esteem analysis where it's a quiz uh, there. It's not like BuzzFeed, which those are fun. Don't get me wrong. But this is like from a therapist. And uh, when I took it, at the end, I had a 7 out of 30. And I realized that I had no self-esteem outside of my job. And so that's something I really wanted to work on. Um, the objective to not rely on others for affirmation and validation of myself. And the plan was I will attend weekly DBT groups, which is the dialectical behavior therapy I mentioned earlier, to learn what dialectical behaviors are not or are and how to use them, use the skills to learn new coping strategies. I just realized my dog is chewing on a toy in the background, and I really hope that that hasn't been distracting this whole time. If it is, I apologize. Uh, it's better than her barking while I talk because that tends to happen. And then my, we talked about my strengths and my potential barriers for treatment and uh, my client's strengths, leadership and facilitating and teaching. I still agree with that, which is pretty cool. And I like how we didn't focus on just all the negatives. We made sure to balance that out. Potential barriers to treatment, feeling exposed in the moment that a trauma responses is happening. So my trauma response, I actually thought it was part of my Asperger's, and uh, it wasn't. It was actually a trauma response where if I got overly stressed or felt in danger, my entire body used to shake and convulse, and it felt like there was electricity surging through my body from my head to my toes. And this just wasn't at the therapy. This has been my whole life. You know, I, when I was a kid, my mom used to have to sit and watch me, and I would, it looked like I had a seizure. I would bang my head against walls for 30 minutes at a time. I had to stop myself from hitting myself in the face. Uh, now, that one is more on the Asperger's, but the physical shaking, and it was so painful. And it turns out that was a, a trauma response to all this repressed trauma I have that was stuck inside trying to get out. And, and it was a... Anytime I felt sad or angry or in danger, that would happen. And I was very embarrassed of it. And I thought I looked crazy. And it turns out there's a whole bunch of people out there that do the same thing. Don't start. Not you. Sorry. My dogs. Living in an apartment, they tend to bark a lot with other dogs. I don't know what they're communicating about, but anyways. And so that feeling exposed, I didn't know if I would be able to open up for fear that that would happen. And... I actually expressed that in one of my ther first therapy sessions with everybody, and it happened, and everyone just surrounded me with such love and support, and afterwards, I was so exhausted. My um, This girl made me lunch, so I don't have to worry about it. I'm all teary. I had, like I said, I had, I had my EMDR session this week, so I'm a little more raw, and um, I just felt so much love there. 
And then my client's statement was, I have participated in the development and review of this treatment plan. Oh, it's just saying that I, I agree. And then we signed it. And so that was my treatment plan from the beginning, which is pretty cool. Um, oh, this is when I decided I wanted to tell people. Oh, and then this is us talking about denial and talking about... Oh, we also had nutrition classes to help balance the body and... Um, Oh, here is my typical characteristics of codependent people. <gasps> my God. Okay, this is a test I did not want to get a high score on. I used to think that codependent meant that I relied on other people to for my life. And I've always been a super independent person in that manner. And I found out really quick that I was codependent AF. So um, I'm just going to read you. I was high on all of them. You had to relate one to four. And the lowest I put on anything was two. And uh, let's just say there are multiple ways. So like two, 20 to 29 points, a few codependent patterns, 30 to 39, some degree of codependent patterns, 40 to 59, a high degree of codependent patterns, and 60 to 80, a very high degree of codependent patterns. And I was a 57. So that was pretty high. And uh, very eye-opening, I found out that I essentially was the fixer and the helper. And how I dealt with that was fixing and over-helping people. And I had to, and had to learn how to not do that. So, uh, oh, so this was pretty cool. Um, so one of the things we did while we were there is art therapy, which I actually am now continuing to do at home. It was in, in, incredible. Uh, and, um, and so this, this is insane. So anyways, I got distracted by what's on the back of it. So the, what we had to do was after a pretty intense EMDR session and therapy session where I went over some stuff that happened with my dad and essentially my dad who was a wonderful man, and let's just say he was wonderful. He was just going through a lot and had um, was an alcoholic and an addict. And I've learned that the alcoholism and addict part of him was not him. It was his disease. But one of the things that happened during his sobriety is towards the end of his sobriety, he, he asked me to help find marijuana for him. And I was not a marijuana smoker, still not a marijuana smoker. I do believe in the healing properties and all that good stuff. It's just not for me. And I was, I was 18. And, you know, I, at the time, I just, my dad was talking about how much pain he was in. And I just wanted to help. And I didn't want him to drink. So I did. I helped him find it. And I've always felt so guilty about that. And, uh... And I felt like it was my fault and I was a contributing factor to his demise. And one thing I learned there is that demise was already happening and no father should ask their child to help them find illicit drugs. So I learned all that there and I learned that that was just a huge cry for help of him. And I went through that and I, I a huge breakthrough with that. And then the next day we did this art therapy where she the art therapist had hundreds and hundreds and probably a thousand little tiny papers cut up and each little tiny paper had a sentence from a song lyric and you were to grab whatever came to you and then make a poem out of it and 
So that's what I did. I just grabbed it. And each sentence that came to me, I grabbed. And then when I felt like I had enough, then I started to make a poem. And I was like, holy shit. If this isn't exactly, excuse me, exactly what I needed after this. So the poem was, you promised me the world and I fell for it. Has life given up for you right now as well? In your sea of broken dreams, I tried to help you. Excuse the mess it made. This is my only fear, that he can't redeem his soul. My eyes don't shed tears, they pour. You are safe in my heart, and I'm saying a prayer for my desperate heart tonight. I know you never get just what you see, because we are just ourselves. Now breathe deep. I'm the worst of my enemies. There's a choice I'm making. I'm running. Could be going nowhere. And when I get where I'm going, I can redeem my soul and fly. And I was like, holy shit. That is definitely like the whole part, excuse the mess it made, was me trying to help him. And then the fear was how I felt when he relapsed and what it did to me. And I, then the, the, I know you never get what you see because we are just ourselves. Like, okay, he... He was in the depth of it all. I need to focus on myself. And I realized I was the one that was allowing these things to continue to harm me. And I made a choice to run away from it, break, not run away like in a bad way, like run towards the goodness and break the generational curse. And uh, when I get to where I'm going, I can redeem my soul and fly. So how freaking crazy is that, that that came from a entire art therapy. I had to cut that off because my dogs were driving me crazy, so I had to deal with that. So thank you for your patience with me as I am learning to be a podcaster. So anyway, so that was nuts. The art therapy was really cool for me to process things in a much safer matter. But And when I turned over my thing, I don't remember what happened. But I called them my depression spells, and now I know that it's a form of dissociation where your body kind of shuts down and you leave your body a little bit. Uh, I, I, something was going on, and I was dealing with something really rough, and I, I couldn't, when those things would happen, I couldn't speak. It was like I was stuck and trapped in my body, but I couldn't speak, and I just wanted my husband. And so I, I wrote this this thing to this woman because I'm like I couldn't get the words out to the nurse that was on staff and it said I call them she asked me what was going on I said I call them depression spells I'm thinking clearly but my body starts to shut down and if I let it if I let it I can't move I have a hard time connecting my brain to my mouth can last for five minutes to two hours and I put um, unless I can call my husband she said can I do anything for you and I shook my head no. I said, unless I can call my husband. And she was like, but you can't talk. And I was like, oh, right. How Because normally when I was here, I could text him and tell him what was going on. And he would just sit next to me until it faded out. And then I was like, oh, yeah. And I put, if you can call. And she said she's not allowed to because of HIPAA violations. And I just said, I understand. Thank you. And I don't remember what she said, but I think I ended up taking an emergency uh, anxiety med and went to bed. So I don't know what that was about. Um, Oh, for 4th of July, we did a declaration of independence. And it was what we declared independence from, for ourselves. 
and I declared independence from guilt, shame, and feeling unworthy. And then I declare I will fill myself up with self-love, self-care, excuse me, self-care and self-validation. I will, I will rely on myself to fill those needs. I declare that I am enough, worth of love, kindness, and forgiveness. You know what? That would be a good activity to do with kids. Maybe I should do that every year for Fourth of July. That's pretty cool. Uh, oh, and so then we had this thing called phases. So once you were there, you there were different phases. Now, pre-COVID, you were not allowed to have any phone privileges. You couldn't call anybody in phase one, which I understood because there was a good week where I didn't want to talk to anybody. It helps you focus more on the now. And I will say that I felt like the people who called home a lot were the ones that were constantly trying to leave. I think it's because you have an out when you're going through all this emotional turmoil. It's not easy at all. But because of COVID, they let us have 10 minutes of phone time a day just to connect with our loved ones because you never knew what was going on. But in phase, there's different phases. There was phase one, two, and three. And if you were, or ABC, I don't remember. But phase one, you didn't have any privileges. And there was a sheet that gave you a guideline. And that was really helpful for me. So if you checked off all these boxes, which was like going uh, into um, going into your traumas, uh, participating, this, that, the other, and you had to get all your therapist and, and house people to sign off on it, and then you had to write a letter to your team and ask uh, if you, they feel like you're ready to phase up, and when you do, you got to phase two, and you got to sit at the front of the bus when we drove places and you got to have phone privileges, but we already had that. It was just cool and I'm definitely a gold star person, which is apparently a codependent trait. And that was really helpful, especially for my logical brain to give a path, so that was really cool. And then there's phase three, but you can't really get there unless you're there for months. So anyways, and then when we had issues in the house, how we handled them was with Deer man's. So a deer man is a skill and it essentially tells you how to um, address with issues. So deer man stands for describe the facts or situation, express your feelings, ask a slash assert what you need and want, and then reinforce the relationship. So essentially when like, so let's say I had an issue with somebody I would say, you ask that person, are you open? Now that's something we did before we gave any advice, we asked any questions, or did a dear man. And if someone said, no, I'm not open, you stop right then, right there. And that's it, because you want to respect that. So that's what we did. And so if you were to dear man someone, you would say, Susie Joe, are you open? And if they said yes, then you would describe the factor situation. So I could say, what happened was when you were when you decide you do not want to follow the house rules, it then affects us and I am not allowed to continue to eat until you sit at the table. Then express your feelings. When this happens, I feel very disrespected and I feel... Like I'm being punished for something that isn't my fault. What I am, then ask slash assert what you want and need. 
I am asking you to please respect the house rules and understand that when you don't, it does affect us. I, and then reinforce the relationship. I care about you. I want you to be a member of this household and I want us to continue to grow together. So then once you do the dear man, no one can respond for 24 hours. The reason being is because when you bring something up like that, most people's initial responses get defensive. And that's where a lot of arguments happen that aren't productive. So I can, if I'm the person giving the dear man, I can't keep up with it. If someone is dear man, if I'm, I can't keep talking about it. And if I'm the one getting dear man, I can't respond for 24 hours. I just have to nod my head, say, okay. And then in 24 hours later, when we do our morning meetings, because we were doing, we would do morning huddles where we would check in um, and go over house stuff. And uh, I would say, I would address it. Now, if I didn't agree with the dear man, I was allowed to say, you know, you're allowed to, it's not just taking it and saying, I'm sorry, or apologizing. You can dear man back, essentially, which is tell, like, describe the fact of the situation, why you disagree. And if the dear man needs to continue sometimes they can go on for a day or two back and forth but that way people have time and process but usually that didn't happen that's pretty cool so that's just and that was just uh one fourth of my binder like I said I won't go through all of it uh just thought all oh, that was pretty interesting and my plan was to when I got home was to go through all this and categorize it and put it in like a resource binder which is still my plan it just was a lot to go through when I got back. Um, so, but here is a mock schedule. So every day we got a schedule. And then in the top would have, if anybody had any special, or not special, any one-on-one -on -one sessions. So that way you knew where it was located, if it was Zoom, if it was in person. You know, once they got a COVID encounter and everything was Zoom. Um, and then you would go off. Every day was a little different. So Friday, so this is 6.45 a.m. to 7.45 a.m., was mindful breakfast slash meds. So what that meant was that you had to take your meds in that time slot. Everyone had to sit down by a certain time. And, uh, and once you sat down at the table to eat breakfast, we read a excerpt out of a book. So it could be it's like a daily reader where it's just one page. Then from 8.30 to 9.15, we had community group where we would sit down and go over if there's any house issues, any dear mans, and our, the group leader would do it. And uh, every week there was a new group leader that the house voted on. I was at once, and it's awful because it, um, it's good. It's good. But, you know, when you're a leader, there's a lot of things that come up, and that was the week that I found out how codependent I was. Because um, I wanted to be a leader because I wanted to feel empowered and I wanted to take control and have control over what was going on in the house. Um, so that was very great. And then from 9.15 to 11.15, we had primary group, which is where we sat down and had like group therapy. 12 to 1 was lunch. 1.15 to 2.15 was a group on some... So essentially from 1.15 to 2.15, 2.30 to 3.30, 3.45 to 4.45 was each one of those was a different class on different things and different types of therapy. Once a week we would have gym time and then uh, six to seven was dinner meal prep. Um, once a week you had to cook dinner for the house and then once a week it was 
you're on your own yo-yo. So you're on your own where you did your own. And then from seven to eight, we'd have an in-house meeting like CODA meetings or emotions, anonymous meetings. And then we had to fill out our DBT cards and then be in bed by 1030 or 11, depending on the day. So that was what we did five days a week. And then Saturdays, we had one three-hour class and then nothing. And that, that weekend was for um, used for, what's it called, homework. Because all of our therapists would give us homework. And also, after you do all of that therapy five days a week, your brain just needs a freaking break. So when that happens, you just veg out. So that was pretty cool. Then some worksheets changing from victim to survivor. And then, oh, this was my discharge one. And you know what? I think this will be a very good way to end this. Um, it's been very long, and all I've done is gone through half of my baggage, my literal baggage. Um, and I, I hope this was helpful. I definitely enjoyed it. I have all these worksheets um, still, and they're so nice. Self-care worksheets. Oh, sleep hygiene. Helping figure out how to get the best sleep. How um, the brain works the, from logical to emotional. The um, trauma color wheel, which was huge. And um, my family therapy stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I'll end this with my aftercare plan and my final assessment. So the reason for discharge, this was on August 22nd, 2020. Reason for discharge. Sarah worked on connecting with her inner child and is identified or has identified the extreme sadness that she has been trying to avoid for a long time. Client completed her trauma timeline and presented it in primary group. So a trauma timeline is where you write down every single trauma you've ever had in your life. And that's not something I'll ever be reading on here. I destroyed it uh, because that was very freeing. Um, but you write down every traumatic thing that's ever happened to you and then you read it out loud. And then afterwards, people are allowed to give you love and, and affirmation. And, and it's really a powerful thing because there's something about saying it out loud that takes away its power. And also for me, I thought I'd maybe have five or six things, and I had five and a half pages front and back of trauma that I had to deal with. So that was a huge eye-opening experience. She attended the family program to work on boundaries and communications with her family. The living arrangements, I will be at home with my husband. It says the transportation. And then they went over all of my previous things, like the goals and the plans. And I was able to say, yes, I achieved all of those goals, um, which is pretty cool. It says, uh, um, which was pretty neat. So then it says, my family slash significant others involvement. Sarah states her family, partner, and business partners. Friends and two dogs are her support system. Work, school, vocational rehab. Sarah states she is employed, but denies the need for FMLA for legal issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, protective structured activities. Sarah states she enjoys making wreaths and other art projects, therapy, medication, manage it, support groups, counsel couples counseling, and find a spiritual community and self-care regimen. So that was essentially what I said I would continue when I got home. And then if there was any anticipated problems, I had none. And then barriers to treatment, having accountability to maintain mental health care would be a solution to the barrier. So my barrier was 
that I would like, what if I fell off or gotten too involved in work? And um, I make sure that I told my business partner, my husband and my mom that this is something I was going to need. And so then it has individualized instructions and which was really nice. It gave a step-by-step of what I needed to do. Um, Contact my provider, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Um, And then, oh, contact your provider if I experience physical, mental, or emotional distress and ability to follow through on activities of daily living. SI, which is suicidal ideations, urges to self-harm, isolating or withdrawing, and binging because I would binge TV is what I would do, sit down and just watch TV back to back to back. And then they recommend attending all medical and therapy appointments and completing an IOP program. Fortunately, my insurance wouldn't cover the intensive outpatient program, uh, which is something I wish I would have done. But I got through it and created my own. And then it gave me the recommendations. And then it told me to speak to my primary therapist to assist getting set up with EMDR therapy if needed, resources provided if needed. And so that was really cool. And then we had a safety plan. If I have had recent thoughts of suicide and have access to firearms, we recommend that you ask a responsible family member or friend to secure them and or contact your local sheriff for instructions on how they may be able to lawfully surrender. If you experience suicidal thoughts, please seek urgent care. So it's very much like factual, which is very helpful when you're in an emotional state of mind. And then I have two pages of a bunch of meetups and Uh, websites and places to go and meetings and therapy which is pretty cool and the numbers so when you leave because the work doesn't stop when you leave you're able to have this research so you don't have to do all the research yourself which was a lifesaver which is pretty great literally so yeah so I'm not even a quarter way through my literal baggage, emotional baggage. Um, I think that this is a pretty long one already. And if you stayed listening to this, this whole time, thank you so much for listening to this journey. I really, really hope that this gives some insight or motivation to get your own help or just learned a thing or two along the way. And, um, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you. Herapist out. (laughs) Hmm.